Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. At this point, I invite you to open up your Bibles, and we're going to read Acts chapter 2, 1 through 12, and 42 to 47 again. We read that already this morning. And we're also going to be reading Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 through 17, and that's because we are continuing in our series in the second tablet. Uh, So looking at the Ten Commandments, they can be divided into two tablets, one that's primarily looking at our relationship with God, and then commandments five through ten are about our relationship with others and how we are to live in light of that love that we experience from God. And a lot of the focus throughout this series is a freedom for. Uh, What does this equip us into? What sort of good life and abundant life are we meant for? So as we begin, let's look at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated it and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judean, Cretans and Arabs, We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask another, what does this mean? Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs that were performed by the apostles, All the believers were together and held everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Exodus chapter 20. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything That belongs to your neighbor. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
So today's focus is on that eighth commandment, you shall not steal. And the, the word that we're focusing on today is generosity. And as that's because, as I hope will be clear, uh, generosity is a key part of the Christian response to that eighth commandment. Uh, to begin with, I just have a memory of mine from uh, my time out in Halifax. Uh, I, I went to Dalhousie University for a year, and I don't know if you've been living in the East Coast before, but it's pretty similar to the West Coast. You experience a lot of rain. I often just figured it was like Abbotsford, just a little bit colder and windier. Uh, so the people that were from other parts in Canada might have found it a little gloomy, but I just felt right at home there. Now, being poor students, we would take public transit wherever we went, and when people had errands to do, we'd just kind of clump together and, and go out and, and wander around. And there was this one time that I remember where one of the people that we were with was lagging behind a little bit, so we looked back, and when I saw them, they were taking off their boots and, and handing it to this person that was living on the streets. And kind of like, okay, this is unusual, a different sort of thing. So when they caught up to us, we asked, kind of like, what was that all about? And she simply said, well, they asked for money. I didn't have any money on me, but I had these warm boots, and I got warm shoes at home, so why not just give what I have? I can walk barefoot to the rest of the way home. We're not that far away from our dorms. And there, something struck me about that, or that, that stayed with me on that. Uh, one of it was just how kind of casual it was. It wasn't something that she brought up later on. This was something that she simply did because she figured, well, this is the type of things that Jesus followers do. This is the, the type of things that when we have promptings from the Holy Spirit, we just act on them. We, we give. We are generous with what we have. Another part of it, I think that stuck with me because I've seen people give more than that or, or larger sums, but there's something really personal about it. Uh, there's just this person-to-person -person exchange and all, the offering of vulnerability before that other person. Uh, when she gave, she could basically say, I'm willing to be vulnerable for your sake. I'm willing to go through a little discomfort if it means helping you. I have warm shoes at home. And, and when we think about generosity, I want us to think about this other-centric part of it. It's about an other person. Sometimes when we think about generosity, we think it's about us, how we can be generous. And we forget that the, the generosity's purpose is about relationship. It's about connecting with others. Uh, today is Pentecost Sunday, as we've been reminded uh, a few times. And Pentecost is that day where, where we remember the Spirit's arrival. So we, we have Acts chapter 2 that's been read twice, and that, that beginning part is often the part that gets focused on. But both times we also read verses 42 to 47. And I think there's a significance in that second section there, because that's the first time that we see what are, what are the kind of the long-term impacts of the Holy Spirit coming uh, that, that first part of the story is this is the immediacy. This is, this is what it looked like when the Holy Spirit arrived. But this is Luke's first opportunity to say this is what it looks like 
when, when a community is formed by the Holy Spirit, this is what the church ought to look like. When Luke describes this church, he includes this detail. Uh, all the believers were together and they held everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Now, there was something about the, the fellowship that they were experiencing. If you look at that first part, they, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. There, there was something about those activities that when they got together, they thought, well, this, this impacts what we do with our things. We ought to be the people that are sharing and that are generous with one another. There's something about what they were hearing from God in their prayers that impacted what they did with their things. The sort of selfishness that may have existed before, the sort of posturing of wealth, thinking that they had to have more than the other person, those things were actively rejected. These were people that looked at the other person and had that reflection, I have to share with this other person. Now, when we look at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, obviously they go far beyond generosity. Uh, but today, I want us to focus in on that particular one because I think it gives a good example. It helps demonstrate how the Holy Spirit goes into and affects every part of our lives. Uh, so two Sundays ago, we emphasized something similar. We're saying that God's redemption goes everywhere, including our sexuality. And now, we can say that God's redemption also includes our wallets. It includes the things that we buy and we don't buy. It includes the things that we have and, and how we share the things that we sometimes claim as our own. Now, when we introduced the Ten Commandments, um, we noted that, that these Ten Commandments fit into the Christian life uh, because living into these laws is, is a freedom that comes with the gifting of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that we reflected on to get us there was looking at the Heidelberg Catechism. Now, for those that are guests, uh, the Heidelberg Catechism is this teaching, uh, a summary that came from the, the Reformation. And it was one of the most popular documents ever produced by the church. Uh, there's some estimates that say that it is the most translated and most circulated document in history alongside or just below the Bible, Pilgrim's Progress, and the Imitation of Christ. Uh, so it, it sits there as a very popular document that's been used so much, and part of the reason why it's been used so much was because it was good and it was useful for teaching. It, it summarized Christian teaching in a helpful way. And one of its summaries goes into grateful living. It talks about gratitude. And when it opens up about what does it mean to live as grateful people, it talks about the Ten Commandments. Now, that section on gratitude begins with question and answer 86. And at first, in that question, it addresses our misery, that we've been delivered from misery. Uh, we've been delivered from the misery of our sin, and that we are called to a way of life that is good. 
And it begins with this line here. Because Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, is also restoring us by his spirit into his image. Uh, right, right there, it gives us a little bit of a snapshot of what the gospel is about. We have that freedom from that is in there because Christ having redeemed us by his blood. We see there that we are free from, from shame and from guilt and we're, we are seen by God through the lens of Christ. And it goes on, at the very same time, Jesus is restoring us by his spirit into his image. So the Holy Spirit is forming us into the likeness of Christ. The Holy Spirit is equipping us to be generous, self-giving people that we're meant to be into the likeness of Christ, the one who shows life in abundance, life in the fullest. Uh, when it goes on, so to uh, questions 88, it, it talks about the, the joy that that brings, that this isn't kind of this, the, the life in gratitude isn't one of just sour kind of serving, but it's a joy-filled living. And when we look at Acts chapter 2, we see these people that were devoted to the teaching and prayer and fellowship, that this led them to generosity with each other. That one of the things that accompanied the Holy Spirit's presence was sharing what they had. And when, when it talks about that, this isn't just a one-time instance. Uh, that Luke's not just reporting this is what happened this one time. Luke is setting the stage for how these people lived, how the church was meant to live. And, and it's repeated over and over again through the book of Acts, but it also shows up in other parts throughout the New Testament. Uh, a passage that I want to direct us to is from Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, Ephesians 4 talks about the things that we've been talking about here, how in the former way of life, we, we put off our old self, corrupted by deceitful desires, and we're made new in our minds, and we put on this new self. We're, we're, we're made to be like God in his holiness. We're being renewed into Christ's image. And then it gives some practical ways of what this looks like. It, this impacts the way that we talk to each other, but it also impacts what we do with our things. Verse 28, those who have been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their hands that they may have something to share with those in need. So sharing and generosity here is, is not just a description of what the early church happened to do. This wasn't an optional part of the Christian life. This was something that was to, to impact, or there was something that all of the church people were supposed to be doing. Since the church, or Christ's rule has affected everything, they were to live generously, and that was to be at the core. And notice what Paul says here. Um, he says that the people that were stealing, um, he doesn't say to them that you should work so that you could provide for yourself. Uh, Self-sufficiency isn't the goal here. Life in fellowship doesn't look after only oneself. 
The direction is other person focused. Generosity isn't about you, it is about how we can be serving in fellowship with other people. The stealing, taking what belongs to someone else for your own gain, is completely reversed here. It's flipped completely, freely giving what you have for the benefit of others. That is the type of impact that spirit-filled people have. So the question for us here is, are we aware of the Spirit's promptings? Are, are we open to the possibility of the tugging in our heart that invites us towards generosity towards others, that that, that could be the Spirit at work in us? Do, do we take time for that kind of discernment in this day-to-day living? Do we see how the Spirit may be speaking us in the day-to-day? Today's commandment is, you shall not steal. Uh, And this this invites us to consider, okay, what is God's will behind that commandment? What What is God's will in there? And part of it is that we can consider a world without theft. Uh, We consider a world where it's not necessary for anyone to steal. And looking at this, it should have us thinking quite broadly about what theft is. Theft isn't just simply um, taking something that someone has. It's not just snatching someone's purse. Uh, The Heidelberg Catechism, when it talks about the Eighth Commandment, broadly looks at what um, theft actually means. Theft includes all scheming and swindling in order to get our neighbor's goods. It it involves the scheming and swindling to get what others have. Uh, So this involves kind of clever advertisements that that lie and kind of twist the truth a little bit just to be able to get the money from others. Notice the wording in here. It even includes means that appear legitimate. So the crooked ways that people twist laws and rules to get an extra dollar, In case it's unclear, that the hiking up of interest, charging someone full cost for a knockoff item, or overcharging renters, all of these sorts of things are put on par with theft or with stealing. And if that's not enough, at the very end, just caps it off with these words, God forbids all greed and pointless squandering of his gifts. So it it points also towards something inward. Uh, Rather than just being content with saying, don't do this, it says, inspect yourself. It recognizes that stealing begins somewhere else. Stealing begins in the place of the heart, this, this need and this desire to accumulate more. Now, Jesus talked about this sort of thing. Uh, He had this famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew chapter 6, he had this line, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, when money is talked about there, the, the word isn't simply cash. It's not just 
talking about the, the evils of money itself. Instead, it's, it's talking about this desire for an accumulation of wealth. The passage is not saying that money is bad, but the desire for wealth and the inward need for accumulation of more and more, that that has the capacity, this has the ability to take over our lives. It can supplant God as the thing that we turn to for our security. It has the ability to devour us. Money can create appetites for things that we don't need. Now, to kind of illustrate this, there's, there's a general rule out there of 20% when it comes to money. So in, the, in a survey that asks uh, several questions, like um, how happy are you with the money, the amount that you're making, um, how much more would it take to be financially secure? Uh, how much more would you need for contentment? The general answer is about 20%. And hey, maybe you could try that one on for size two. Think if you got 20% more than what you're currently making, like how much nicer would that be? But the confusing part about that survey is when it asked about how much money people were making, it was a pretty broad spectrum. Uh, and the, the same could be true for us here. It didn't matter if you were making $10,000 or $80,000 or $250,000 a year. Everyone wanted just a little bit more, about 20% more. Then, then you'd be happy. The person making only $10,000, well, they could have more security over planning their next meals. The person with 250000 per year, well, this could enable them to keep up with their colleagues in, in the updates to their home or their vacation projects. It seems there's always that desire for perhaps a little bit more. And, and our consideration in the midst of this is what, what would it mean to live counterculturally? What, what would it mean to be able to be generous in the midst of this? To intentionally be able to live on less? Uh, perhaps uh, another way of looking at this is actually looking at generosity itself and, and the giving that happens in relation to people's wealth. As logic would have it, you'd think the, the more that people have, the, the higher percentage they're likely to give. But when you look at this, when you, we've done studies and looked at the statistics, um, one recent survey showed that um, those that are earning less than $10,000 um, per year and those who are earning more than $100,000 per year, and it found that the people earning less than 10000 gave about twice as much in percentage than the people earning much, much more than them. Uh, for 10000 it was 5.5% on average, and for those over 100000 it was 2.2%. And you kind of find these consistent statistics throughout time, where the, the more people have, the, the more this pull towards accumulation of more gets stronger and stronger. That same thing that Jesus was talking about here. Now, in light of that, I want us to just imagine what a difference it would make if we lived into this life of generosity. Imagine the difference that could be made just 
amongst Christians in North America, if everybody gave, let's say, 10% of what we had? Uh, This is a question that uh, a pastor uh, named Daryl Johnson out in Vancouver uh, recently asked his congregation, and he chose 10% uh, because this was the amount that was given in the Old Testament. The people of God uh, for that time were asked to give 10% of what they had before God. And that's no longer required in the New Testament. That's not required for the church. Uh, but it's often considered at least a good baseline. This is, this is something that we can be giving. Now, according to the statistics, about 3% of Christians give 10%. So when we look at that question, what, what difference would it make if 100% of Christians gave that much in North America? What number would that be? Estimates range from 95 to $115 billion per year. Um, Even dealing with the small number there, $95 billion per year. Uh, Can you imagine the the difference that can be made with that? What sort of creative ministry can be done in cities? What sort of global impact the church could have towards poverty alleviation? Uh, According to Daryl Johnson, Uh, This is enough money to provide education for every child in the world, enough money to provide medical care for every person in the world with AIDS. This is enough money to do all of that and still carry on as normal. This is is simply that that 95 billion is just beyond what is already being given. But for many of us, and for many Christians in North America, we, we don't know that type of freedom Um, So often we're stuck in that mentality of not enoughness, uh, striving to have the 20% more and finding it hard to imagine living off of that 10% less. Now, in the Old Testament, uh, people were asked to give their first fruits, the first 10% that they had. And this was a training in generosity, a, a training where people were to acknowledge that what they had, all that they had wasn't actually theirs, that this was a gift from God. All belongs to God. What we give is a note of gratitude for God's provision for us. And the tithe also filled some pretty practical functions. It it funded their corporate worship. It provided for their priests. It provided for the poor. But more than that, It was a pattern of giving that was a spiritual discipline. It was something that people were to do in order to show that money doesn't have power over them. That they were not to be people who accumulate and stack and try to get more than the person next to them. They instead were to be known in their generosity. They were to be known in providing to the extent where there was no needy people among them. There's a relational aspect to generosity. It's not about us. And in the New Testament, that requirement for that tithe is gone. But when we look at passages like Acts chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4, What does not disappear is God's desire for there to be no needy among us. 
you find that Holy Spirit people, as described in Acts chapter 2, sold what they had, going well beyond the 10% to live in a way where there were no needy among them. And this type of generosity that we're called to is not seen as a burden. Again, we are looking in our series of, of a freedom from and a freedom for. And we see in this freedom from that people are free from this power of, of wealth, uh, of this desire for accumulation that can rule over our hearts. I don't know if you've ever run into a person who is generous, but often it's accompanied by a, a joy or a lightness that is to them. They're not carrying that burden anymore. When they talk about generosity, it's not this, this terrible task that they have, but often it comes alongside brainstorming. How, how can I be giving more? What, what more can I be doing to support other initiatives in God's kingdom? So it's a, it's a freedom from, it's a freedom from greed, but more than that, it's a freedom to live for others rather than yourself. It's a freedom to be generous with all that God has given us. This is a freedom for a way of life that forms a society where there is none in need, a way of living of joy, in joyful relationship with people around us. So as Pentecost people, we are to be a people who have been gifted by the presence of the Holy Spirit. We are to be people who rely on the Spirit daily to renew us and to prompt us in our lives. And the question I want to finish with is this. Do we know this freedom? Do we know this freedom from and this freedom for? The freedom that allows us to live joyfully together and to live in generosity. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that you don't leave us abandoned and on our own, but you send us your spirit as comforter, as advocate, as your very presence within us. May we grow in our understanding of the gifts of the spirit. May we see how you are speaking to us from within, equipping us to be servants of your church. May we see how your presence within us is causing us to be new persons, where we don't have to live into this old way of things and selfishness and pushing towards self-sufficiency, may we see how, as we put on the new self, we are drawn into care for others in ways that are financial, in ways that are practical, in ways that are personal. Help us to see that the ways that money can hold a claim over us and give us boldness to be a people who do not tightly grip on everything that we earn as if it's ours alone. Help us to see all that we have as a gift from you and to see our call to steward what we have in joyful sharing, giving to organizations, to churches, to persons. May we be known in the generosity that reflects your goodness in abundance. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. 
Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.